Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to the Violin Podcast, where we interview violinists from around the world. I'm your host, Eric Mogala, and thank you for joining us for the first episode of Season 2. That is right. Today is the launch of season two for the Violin Podcast. And we have a great, great interview coming up for you later on. But first, a little bit of housekeeping. I want to welcome all the people who are new to the Violin Podcast. And if you're new to us, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. If you want to get updates for the Violin Podcast, please make sure to either follow us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or please follow us on our mailing list. Just All you got to do is just go to violinpodcast.com and type in your email and you'll get bi-weekly updates of the Violin Podcast. Episodes, like I said, are updated on a bi-weekly basis. So the next episode after this one will be September 20th, which is next, next, next Monday. So make sure that you are subscribed to the Violin Podcast on all podcast platforms of your choice. And also make sure to either follow us on social media or sign up for our mailing list at violentpodcast.com. Today's quote of the day comes from Plato. Musical training is a more potent instrument than any other because rhythm and harmony find their way into the inward places of the soul. I love that quote because this quote directly goes into what we're going to be talking about today with Mr. Marcelo Gonzalez from Chile. He is a Chilean violinist who is also an entrepreneur and an educator and a performer. And we get to talk to him about his experience as a violinist and what his philosophies are in approaching his pedagogy and approaching his students. So ladies and gentlemen, I am proud to have Marcelo Gonzalez on the first episode of season two of the Violin Podcast. Please enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much again for coming on the Violin Podcast with me today on a Zoom call. I have Marcelo Gonzalez, who is currently based in Chile. How are you today, Marcelo? Very good. Very good. Thank you for inviting me, Eric. Yeah, absolutely. I see a plaque right behind you. Can you tell me a little bit about that plaque? Oh, that plaque is my uh, performer certificate from uh, Peabody, John Scopkin. <laughs> right. And as I, as fr- from our little briefing right before we started recording, you also have a certificate in viola, right? And you play violin mm-hmm. and viola? I, I was a minor in viola. Minor in viola. Okay. I so minor uh, in viola, yes. That's okay. I won't hold it against you. I like viola players also. <laughs> um, Marcelo, well, first and foremost, I want to talk a bit about yourself because this is the first time I'm meeting you. We have no affiliation t- together whatsoever. We do have a you know, mutual friend per se. We both know the concertmaster of the Philadelphia Orchestra and his name, David Kim, which I encourage everybody to listen to that episode because it was a very valuable uh insight into the world of a concert master but i'm uh, correct me if i'm wrong you're also a orchestra player yes yes i i joined the uh sinfonica de chile when i came back from the states uh i studied in peabody with uh Bersanovsky, shirley gibbons 
and took the viola minor uh, with uh, Roberto Diaz. So, well, family things and stuff, I decided to come back to Chile and I joined the Sinfonica when I was 23. Now I just turned 48 last Sunday. So I've been in the orchestra world long time. And I feel lucky because uh, I met great, great conductors and soloists. And well, in my orchestra, I happened that I am the principal second violin. And we have the, the uh, possibility of play solo with the orchestra every two years. So also I made some solo playing, chamber music and teaching, of course, teaching, yeah. This is fantastic because I feel like the second violin section is truly underrated. Can you talk to me about the specific role the second violin plays in an orchestra? Well, yes. Uh, people used to think because, uh, yeah, because it's, because it's such, you know, everybody just looks at the first violin right, section, right, right. But they often neglect the second violin role, and the second violins are so important. I would love for you to speak. Right, about right. That. It's a interesting topic, huh? Even Leopold Mozart wrote in his book that if you're not a very good violin player, you should play second violin. <laughs> and if you're not very good second violin player, play the viola. <laughs> it's in his book. But uh, we have a big stigmatized, you know, thing. But since I am, I played concert master also in Universidad de los Andes for many years in the chamber orchestra. So I, I've done both. But I, I like to think first, second, viola, cellos, basses, as a, the whole tessitura of a piano, you see? So uh, we, in the second violin, we, make a very important role about the whole spectrum, you know? So I, I rather think like that, that everybody is important, you know? Well, except in the Strauss waltzes, you know, that we go from, 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 but in great, yeah. great, great composers, uh, everyone is important. So I don't feel uh, less because of the, playing second violin and leading the section, lead as, as a principal second, is a tough job, tough job. Because usually, usually you play in between very high uh, pitch, you know, and low, and it's hard to listen to yourself in the orchestra and really, mix and match together with the rest. So it's not very, very easy task. I, I met Mr. Jampolsky, uh, Victor Jampolsky, a very good conductor who was a uh, principal second in, in Boston uh, Orchestra, Boston Symphony Orchestra with Seiji Osawa that time. And we talk about this thing and he felt the same way. It's not an easy, easy task. But I enjoy it very much, very much. Sometimes the difficult thing is to match the bowings because the first violins has some phrases and you have to match the sound and phrasing, not, you, not exactly the bowing. So that's a difficult thing to 
get uh, get along with with the concert masters and stuff like that. But other than that, I enjoy very much the uh, my job in the orchestra. I remember playing second violin in string quartet, and you are. I remember listening from a mentor that the second violin plays a very intelligent role because you have to make sure you please the first violin, but you also have to make sure that you, I mean, you are an inner voice with the viola. So you have to make sure that you are making both parties happy. <laughs> and do you, do you find that's the same when you translate your second violin role into chamber music? Do you play second violin in a, in a group or first violin? Of course, of course. I, I come from a, a family musicians, uh, all string players. My father used to be a cellist, and I have an older sister who's a great cellist, and my other sister is a violinist who went to Julia Prep when she was very little. And uh, I have a brother who plays the viola. So we had a string quintet uh, that we call fun music fun as family music you know so we play a lot a lot chump of chamber music since i was in the beginning of my my studies of, of of the instrument very little i started to play chamber music and i think it's very important so the orchestra is chamber music with more uh more people that's all that's all when you were young playing the violin what was some of your well, favorite? Well, I'm still young. I'm still young. You're young in spirit. Pardon me. Pardon me. Because, because when I was when I you know I come from a Suzuki tradition, like traditional Suzuki background, right? But exactly. I yeah. So my it's chamber music experience is more mostly with violins, actually. And the first time I played in an orchestra was in fifth grade in elementary school. But then I'm like, okay, the level's not so high. The conductor is kind of shaky. So I'm just going to wait until high school because the high school orchestra I heard was great. Right. But my, I actually, before then, I didn't even know what chamber music was. What what kind of chamber music did interested you? Or what was the first piece you remember that you played when you were young uh, in chamber music-wise? Well, since you mentioned the Suzuki uh, philosophy or Suzuki system. Uh, I happened that I took the uh, philosophy uh, class in Suzuki because I'm very re related to Suzuki because my 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 daughter started the Suzuki system with her mother, uh, which is uh, a specialist in, in in beginners. So uh, realizing that when I started to to the music world, I started within the Suzuki philosophy, which is, in fact, since you're born, listening to music as a mother language. So my house was surrounded of music. Uh, many good players came to rehearsal with my father. I was listening all the time. But I remember the first pieces. Well, I used to play uh, a second violin also in the in the quartet and quintet with my family. And I remember very well some Mozart quartets when I was like 10 years old. And uh, I wasn't so good in sight reading, you know? So my sister used to get mad at me. Oh, you're taking so slow and come on, <laughs> read it faster. Like, for, for, the rec for the record, I was like that too. My sight reading was not good at all when, you know, when I was baby. 
But I, I, I'm so glad that you resonate with Suzuki and, you, you know, your family is embedded in, in the Suzuki tradition because I think people often uh, get misled like, oh, this is the Suzuki method. You need to follow the structure. But as a matter of fact, when I was interviewing um, Ruth Bronze, who is the inventor of the Bowhold Buddy, mm-hmm. and, I, and, I, and I encourage uh, listeners of the Violin Podcast to go back to that episode, she mentions that her one of her she's like a fourth generation musician similar to like what you are you know family was embedded around the house and she met um her mother invent no excuse me <laughs> this is why we edit she, <laughs> the her mother was in a suzuki conference in japan i think it was maybe a violin conference and bumped into the doc- to dr suzuki in the elevator he's like oh hello my name is dr suzuki he's like hello my name is miss bronze so Suzuki method, Ruth Bronze method. So I like to think of the Suzuki method kind of like a template. And then as, as I'm sure you know, your teaching wise, teaching philosophies are more or less the same with the talent education, but you can work your way around it as such. Do you, um, you said your daughter is a violinist. Did you teach her or right. did you, or did your uh, wife teach her? No, no, my, her mother teach, mm-hmm. teaches her. Yeah, her mother. Since two, two years old. Yeah, her mother is specialist in Suzuki, Roland, and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, and talk to me about your teaching philosophies. How was your teaching experience the last couple of years with uh, with the midst of the pandemic and the Zoom lessons and and whatnot? Well, uh, to tell you the truth, it's kind of frustrating because I I teach for for. Uh, private lessons now because I, I, I got tired of the uh, college teaching and stuff like that. The organization is kind of difficult, so only private now. And uh, it's frustrating the pandemic because uh, on Zoom, you can work on rhythm, on intonation maybe, but really nuances and colorful of the music and phrasing is difficult, difficult with a machine. It's much easier, I mean, with a, with, in a screen, you know, in a digital screen. I, I, I prefer in person, of course, much more. So in that way, it's frustrating. But they say that uh, the most successful people adapt. So we have to adapt to, to the reality in the whole uh, world, you know. So... I feel lucky that we have that kind of technology now, you know? Imagine the pandemic 30, 40 years ago that we used to dream about a video call with someone. Huh? We used to see cartoons. Imagine in that, you remember? These Japanese cartoons. <laughs> and My now goodness, it's yeah. And we are talking to each other in the same timing thanks to, to that. So we have to appreciate what we have too, right? I'm grateful for technology also, but from what, similar to your experience, I also deal with a lot of beginners and some advanced and intermediate students. And I felt for me, the people who, the kids who suffered the most were Suzuki book one. So age six through eight, and then kids in middle school who were, you know, nine, 10, 11 years old. I felt for me, those were the, the, the age groups that were kind of difficult to 
connect with because they're still trying to develop their identity and you know, also just like the violin playing, as you say, the nuances in person, it, it, it doesn't compare to what a machine can do, you know, although we're grateful, it's a good supplementer, uh, supplementary case, like you can supplement the, the computer into the education, but you can't make it full time, in my opinion. Right. I agree. I agree. Yeah. So in addition to teaching, can you give the listeners maybe one or two tips on practicing? Because I love to ask different guests about practicing. You know, we have a lot of beginners who listen to the Violin Podcast and also, you know, working professionals and freelancers and performers around the world. And I would love for you to get your insight on what you teach your students. Sure, sure. Um... Well, it's a very interesting question. First thing I would say to students is get rid of the myth that practice makes perfect. I, it just doesn't work. And I'm going to explain why. We have this neuromuscular system that has memory. Uh, you repeat something and it be becomes natural that's the idea so i would change that slogan that is being for so long attempting against our brain for the next one practice makes permanent what you practice so if you repeat wrong 10 hours per day it doesn't work if you practice smart for one hour a day is much better. So I would say to students, repeat the right way. And I have, <laughs> this is funny because uh, with the students, I have the experience that they practice wrong, wrong, wrong until they get it. And then they stop. No, the practice starts in that exact moment. Just figure out how to do it and do it right, do it well, and repeat that as many times as you need in order to already not need to think on stage about it. That's the first thing. And second thing, and I think there's no more, as Leonid Kogan said, uh, get, get the love, the love for practicing uh, more than for performing. Get love for practicing. And that's very, very nice. I tell to my students, practice, 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 and, and take it as a very uh, religious, religious thing, you know, like praying, just practice, practice, and practice, practice well. If it, if it, the, the passage is working, keep practicing, keep repeating it. And I just saw a very interesting uh, YouTube video of this uh, Dorothy DeLay uh, series, Inka mm -hmm. uh, Zuckerman, so smart, just talk about these things. Just practice, and the next day, we humans have this uh, funny brain that we forget things. So next day, you have to repeat again. And, and the love for that is like a martial arts, like everything, uh, gymnastics. We forget, because of the artistic uh, part of it, we forget that we are athletes on our fingerboard with the ball. The athletic and gymnastic things you have not, you, you shouldn't forget about it. You have to keep 
in in shape. Yeah, I think that's one of the downfalls of the Suzuki method because the Suzuki method like teaches repetition and there's like no practice makes perfect, practice makes perfect. I feel like as a culture, as a society, we've, you know, we want things really quickly. It's like if you practice a lot, you'll perfect it. But I absolutely agree with you. Actually, it's so funny you say that because I have made a recent video on YouTube about making practice permanent. I think it's the, <laughs> the ability to make it um, a regular part of your day as a practice, even if it's like an hour and a half, you're keeping that consistent time every single day to practice. And I have a third, I a love... third point. Third. Oh, please do. Please do share. <laughs> Don't forget your scales and arpeggios and Amen. some double stops. Some maybe double stops are not completely necessary all the time, but scales and arpeggios are very, very important. Amen. To and that. Why? Because Intonation is not just playing one pitch correctly. It's intervals. You see? It's the uh, relativity of intervals. It doesn't matter if you have perfect pitch or relative, very good train at the relative pitch. I don't have perfect pitch, but I have a relative pitch. So it's very important to have the intervals played correctly, which is very hard and a long time, long journey uh, in scales. So for students, don't forget your scales every day. <laughs> scales on our pages. You can say intonation is a lifelong battle. <laughs> right, right, right. Intonation is a lifelong battle. For someone who says that they've perfected I, I, I intonation. Would, I, wouldn't say, I wouldn't say battle, but long, uh, long time searching and maintaining. <laughs> I'll have to because use that. I, can I steal that from you? <laughs> of course, of course, because it's very important what... Uh, words we use with students that are the most friendly not brain brain friendly words you can say the same thing without uh heavy words you know battle versus journey i prefer journey it's very important i have very good uh, uh results changing the language with that uh, with... i would love for everybody to take note of this because how we trick our brains is very important because I've, I've, because I heard someone, maybe a mentor or a teacher say, yeah, intonation is a lifelong battle, but I love the way you rephrase that. It says, you know, you want to make sure not practice makes perfect practice makes permanent and having a love for practice journey with good intonation, search for good intonation. That is just gold for anyone who wants to get better at intonation because Scales and arpeggios are the way to go. In Western classical music, you're, all you're doing is just playing scales and arpeggios. Right, right. Um, but, but then we get to a certain conversation about equal temperament, just intonation, you know, melodic That's a intonation. very, very interesting uh, subject, too. If we play with orchestra, with piano, I rather, um, this thing, I, I had a lesson with Lomo Mintz once. And we were talking about this thing. And he is... Totally right about it. Go, temper, temper, well-tempered clavier, use that intonation on your violin. Now, if you're playing some back solo, uh, sonatas and partidas, maybe you can use natural intonation, uh, but although using that, your open strings are not gonna match all the time. <laughs> yes, especially that, then, especially that first chord of the Bach G minor adagio. 
you just have to tune and you kind of have to pray before <laughs> before you play it so that way the top g matches the the open g and make sure the open strings are not um out of tune right exactly yeah i would love to we've talked a lot about practicing we've talked a lot about your role in orchestra but i want to talk about your role as an entrepreneur because i love this topic of music business um, in combination with the classical music world. And you've created a very unique product and you're the first person that I've had on the, sh on the violin podcast that has invented a new kind of shoulder rest. So talk to me about your shoulder rest, how you make it, the design, the inspiration behind the design, and uh, we'll go from there. Okay, okay. Well, that's also had been a very long journey. Uh, since I remember, I, I felt in love with music and the, with the violin, with the instrument itself, and uh, always inventing new things. I used to make my own timbres when I was like 11 years old. Uh, craving, and as a matter of fact, I have it right here. It's my, my first timbres. You see the holes there? The cool. I love it. I don't use it anymore, but I, I varnished it myself when I was 12 or 11 years old. It was pretty, it's pretty uh, flat from what I see. Am I right? Pretty flat. Pretty flat. And maybe should have been more curved. But this is a piece of uh, history in my, in my uh, you know, drawer. So always, always investigating about this. And to tell you the truth, as many, many violinist the if they don't confess it i know they have feel this <laughs> uh they would love to play without shoulders maybe for many reasons uh first of all when i when we are uh just beginning and we're in love with violin we think that it looks so beautiful the violin without any shoulder rest and also the great masters didn't use shoulder rest but be careful on this one because the old master didn't use anything on the violin, but they all used something under the, uh, the clothes, you know, like this with a sponge or something harder. You know, Pinka Superman used to use the uh, door stopper from Galamian Studio. Huh? I didn't know that. Really? Did he do that? And why? Why? Because it was stiffer than a sponge. Yeah, he wow. played a couple of years ago with our orchestra and I had a conversation with him and we talked about this. Now he uses a bunch of uh, handkerchiefs wrapped in this uh, anti-skidding carpet thing, you know? So he puts under the, uh, the clothes and doesn't, doesn't move too much. But still, not as a sponge, but uh, imagine a, a lot of handkerchiefs wrapped in that is stiffer, stiffer. So... Uh, well, that was uh, a couple of years ago that I had that, uh, that uh, very lucky conversation with him in, in life. But uh, going back to the, to the roots of why I came with this shoulder rest, I try everything, you know, sponges under the uh, clothes, uh, a sponge with an elastic band to the violin, attached to the violin, the Kuhn rest and the wall for the primo, for the secondo, the, everything. Let's not mention the Bon Musica. <laughs> well, all of them. Well, but Musica was later. It was later, but the ah. tune was one of the first ones. <clears throat> so then 
I started to play without any shoulders at all because I didn't like anything, you know? But since my, I, I am a strong believer that in, in order to have a healthy posture, you have to try to raise the shoulder the less possible. Maybe it's impossible not to raise it because you have to get the violin, you know, with a nice grip here. But you have to fill in that space if the violin doesn't do it. So my teacher, Beryl Senovsky, had a very, very short neck. So he put in the violin and a very uh, straight shoulders like this, and the violin was just there. So imitating that is not good. Maybe imitating the sound and musicality, <laughs> that's better. But the, the, the posture, you have to adapt to yourself. So I didn't like the kun, I didn't like the way they sounded, the way they looked. So I started to develop uh, this uh, design of the shoulder rest. Based when I was older, I, you know, I studied the math and stuff like that. I, I knew the Fibonacci's uh, golden proportions and I know the, the Strad model, this is Strad model, not a Strad, but the Strad model are made like that, you know, all in proportions. So I had to design something within that. And it took me about six months to design that very simple shape. Because if you see the shoulder rest, it's an asymmetric piece. You see, it's an asymmetric thing that has to match the, the, the violin, you know? So to make this asymmetric shape uh, in golden proportions, you have to use a compass and draw and look for the uh, calculating the golden numbers, make every curve of it match, you see? So I feel that my shoulder rest is not an invention because shoulder rest is uh, from invented for a long time ago, but it's a new design, see? Yes. Mm -hmm. So I have the uh, white part of the violin and the narrow part and, and this matches the, the, the parts of the violin. So I came up with the uh, materials like using cork in conic uh, shape because it's within in the violin. You have the pegs, conic pegs, the end pin. So I feel that, that this is part of an instrument. And what's the matter of putting something to the violin like this uh, and using something again uh, under your close is very similar so i feel this is more uh natural natural and, and and wood made so plastic i don't like to match although they make some very good uh plastic uh teal pieces for for cello and, so, and it sounds good but I, I feel it matches maybe not for all but uh i i felt that way when i designed it so the other thing that i like about it is uh, that you can put it anywhere on the violin, see? So you can rotate it, move it this way, because you are not depending of the edges of the violin. That's why we use the, uh, the special glue, but you can use a rubber band too. And uh, I can tell you that every test that I made with this, uh, in some violins, it's more powerful, the sound. In some, it's, it's more uh, sweet sound. In other ones, it's uh, brighter. In other ones, it's darker. But in all of them, it's a more free sound. 
because you're not squishing, 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 sorry, you are not squishing the violin. So it's very natural. You just raise the, 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 the violin. It looks very natural, I have to say. And it's such an interesting design because actually I, I, I follow you on Instagram also and you use, do you use wine cork to attach? Uh, no, no, no. They are uh, corks that they made for these uh, essay tubes, uh, uh, glass tubes, you know, and it comes mm. in different uh, for for biochemics and scientific people, you know. Of of course, yeah. I mean, I I don't I don't I don't suggest people like you know using a wine cork and then putting glue and then on their violin, of course, right? Right. But it's such an interesting design. And what I I the right off the bat, I noticed that you're it's also flat, so you're trying to replicate that. Um, that close to body experience, but I'm noticing that near um, on the side of where the chin rest is, the side, the large, um, the the oh, I see you have you do use a centerpiece chin rest. I, I can't, I couldn't tell. Oh, no, I use the uh, the teca side. You teca, yeah. So I'm not I was, completely I was side. It goes over the teal piece. Yeah, it that's goes the a little one. Bit over the teal piece. Right. I was I was just gonna say that it's actually <clears throat> quite the opposite of what you are doing because when you go down to the shoulder. You would expect that it's a larger surface area that the, that you need to cover, but you're actually doing the opposite. The larger part of the shoulder rest actually lays on the shoulder, not so much on the chest. Right. Well, this one is uh, as uh, my friend Giora Smith said, it's more for collarbone players uh, because you feel the collarbone in one uh, side and the shoulder in the other one. So you have two important points and the points of contact here yes i'm and I'm, I'm one of those players i'm a collarbone player too what i don't like about the, the curve like this is that you have only one uh, important uh contact point uh and you can see after using so many years uh a shape like that the the feet of the uh of the shoulder they tend to open a lot you know they do so why flat since you mentioned flat i like flat because it helps a little more this motion that you need to do playing the g string going to the e string and this motion is very important you know i'm not saying that you cannot do this with a kun or any other shoulder rest but for me it's easier with this one and it's more natural you see and based on what I heard with your sounds now, it sounds quite resonant. It sounds very oh, yeah, clear yeah. and articulate. So when it you try to take sound of the violin at all, this shoulder rest, you can like it or not, but it's very, um, how do you say the? It doesn't harm the, the sound of the instrument. It doesn't it only, harm the sound. Yeah, it only improves it. It only enhances right, it. Right. Which, which is what I want to emphasize to the to the listeners. Which is, it's a very fascinating design because there are a lot of wooden, um, there are a lot of wooden shoulders that I can think of. There's the Kuhn Bravo. There's the the over three hundred dollar Perastro one, and that one you can like put in the microwave, bend it a certain way. I know like Lenadis Cavacos plays on that one, and then. Um, but no, but this is a very simple approach. Like there are two contacts you put on the violin. My one, can you talk about how you stick it on though? Because you have like a little, like a, yeah. like a glue adhesive, right? Because it I think that's uh, yeah. a foam disc of, uh, uh, it's kind of a Eva foam, but it's harder, you know, and 
you put some glue on it and you stick it to the varnish of the violin. It doesn't harm the varnish at all. Maybe you get a little dirty, but you can do any, you, you can use any violin polish, like the heel polish, and then it goes away very easily. Well, the, the glue thing is not new. Uh, I also had some lessons with uh, Elmar Oliveira many years ago, and he used to use the red sponge attached with a uh, rubber cement to the violin. So the idea is in my history for many, many years. Also, Ilya Kaller used to do that. And my former teacher, Sergio Prieto, that was a former student of Yehudi Menuhin, also used that sponge for, for a while. So I know the glue for many, many years. And since the instrument, I, I mean, the good instruments are all glued, uh, and this, has, that, this doesn't have any screw on it, and all glue, why, why not take an, taking advantage of this uh, already proven method, you know? <laughs> now no, we, have this, we have all these microsuction tapes and it, these whole new materials that uh, are for, for sticking the, the cell phone to the car. And believe me, I tried it. And maybe it works uh, for the uh, kids version that we're working on right now. But it takes away a little bit of the sound. But it's an alternative for some people that doesn't want to use the uh, the glue but the glue is the best for sound right now and some some violins are with funny arcing you know you say arcing right the arc of the violin and are not very even so sometimes uh, they have any problem getting the forefeet to land on the uh, on the instrument but you can adjust it with extra pieces of uh, foam or anything you know I, I leave that to the to the players I know that they can fix their own that there's no perfect uh, solution for anything but I, I felt that this uh, shoulder rest can help a lot and I'm very very happy that many great violinists have used my my shoulders for many years like uh, Sergei Krilov and Ray Chen also is a very good friend of mine that I designed a special shape for him, but he used the same system. He used to use the same system. I don't know now. That's why your shoulder rest is familiar because I feel like I saw him play on the, that shoulder rest in a YouTube video or something. I'm like, he's playing on something very unique, but that is your shoulder rest. I'm glad to know yeah. that. It was a mysterious um, uh, maybe... thing for many, many years, but... Uh, yeah, I, I designed the uh, shoulders for him. Yeah, that's fantastic. I love um, your your creativity towards uh, you know the shoulders. I, I I mentioned earlier that you created a shoulder rest, but like you created a type of shoulder rest. You are not the inventor of the shoulder rest. That happened hundreds of years ago. But this is this is all so fantastic, and I feel like right now that we are entering a new age of like musicians. The idea of entrepreneurship in music is, is not new, right? Mozart did it, Beethoven did it. It's not a new idea, but the way we uh, communicate and the medium in which we perform has changed. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, I love having these conversations with violinists and such as yourself, because I feel like now we're going to be starting this new age of like solopreneurs and entrepreneurs and creating products and, you know, playing music, but it, you're not just playing music now, which is the point I'm trying to make. You can create a product just like Marcelo did, and it's just fantastic. It's just fantastic. 
I've taken too much of your time no and I just want to say thank you so much. There's one last thing that I want to ask you. What are, what are some of your hobbies outside of outside of violin? Ooh. You know, because everybody has a hobby outside of music that they want to take a break from and and Good yeah, question. what are some things that you do? Well, uh, I have many hobbies, huh? <laughs> many hobbies. Starting for tennis playing, which I don't play too much now because I have the rotator calf repair, you know, because of playing without shoulders too many years. <laughs> no. Oh, no. That was a little, well, bold. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, also, also for students, I, if I can uh, share my experience, uh, we know Franco-Belgian uh, bowhole, right? Oh, yes, I teach that. Okay, and we know the Russian uh, bowhole, which actually is not Russian because it's only our pupils. And our, our for, was from Hungary, right? And he has this bowhole, but Russians also use the Franco-Belgian. So if you see, this rotates your shoulder and this one released. So I also tried this in my youth, not good for me, because the shoulder gets injured with, with time. Maybe you can do different sounds, but now, you know, I'm more, more fan of the Franco-Belgium uh, bow hole. So it's the same uh, thing. I, I do the same thing because, um, and this is what I tell my students all the time. So I'm going to have them listen to this episode. And I'm so glad that you say that because you know, it may sound cool, right? Like, you know, the, you know, the, there are violinists out there like Kavakos and Joshua Bell, they do the Russian bow thing. Yeah. Like for me, it doesn't work. I'm, I'm like you Belgian Franco, nice and relaxed, try to keep the shoulders balance and bouncy so i can play and say relax for longevity of playing the violin well i i mean uh, my father used to say if it sounds good well do whatever you you want but uh, also you have to think in long-term healthy posture because already playing the violin is not natural at all so we have to just uh fight a little bit or find uh the the best way to to get along with that uh, posture, you know. But going back to my hobbies, well, tennis also. I don't play much now, but I I love uh, table tennis. I'm a very very uh, table tennis lover, and water ski, snow ski, and lately uh, RC uh, planes. You know, I love them. <laughs> I love. I also care. Carving wood, I like. <laughs> Carving wood, obviously, because you created a fantastic shoulders, which I hope to try out one day. Um, and hope to visit you in Chile. That I've never been to Chile, and I have a lot of friends oh, in Latin America. I Especially have... the south of it. South of it? Okay, well, I'll have to definitely pay a visit to you. I have to pay a visit to my friend in Ecuador and Brazil. I have, like, I have like country. I have to bounce from country to country in Latin America. So I'm really looking forward to that time. But... Marcelo, thank you so much for offering your wisdom. And if you're not following Marcelo on Instagram, take a look at his shoulder rest. It's a super interesting design. And I'm definitely going to try to make sure that I will get a hold of one myself. And people, uh, Marcelo, how can people get a hold of you if, if they have any more questions about the shoulder rest or if they have uh, any questions well, about they can you? Write me, uh, they can write me a DM in uh, Instagram 
on Instagram, uh, Marcelo Gonzalez Echazú. It's a kind of long, but uh, and also you can visit uh, uh, Giora Smith uh, webpage and you can pre-order the shoulder rest there. And any question I'm willing and able and more than happy to answer and collaborating about any uh, many any doubts that uh, maybe students have and stuff like that. Sure. Yeah, and of course, this episode of the Violent Podcast will be on YouTube, and I'm going to try to make a separate link of you dis, um, of you describing the shoulder rest, and I'm going to put that in the in the podcast notes for you to uh, take a look at. I'm also going to include Marcelo's Instagram handle in the podcast notes so for you to follow and take a look at as well marcelo thank you so much for your time i uh, really appreciate Pleasure. you yeah thank you so much mm-hmm.